what should the law look like in states that choose to ban abortion procedures and the abortion pill outright? Especially when it comes to the mothers. Should mothers face jail time if they choose to get an abortion anyway? Obviously, this is a contentious topic, but obviously it's one that's super important and one that we need to talk about. We're going to talk about it today in this episode, so stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We are grateful that you tuned in, especially for an episode like this. There are many things in the pro-life movement that active pro-lifers can agree on, and there are some things that pro-lifers disagree on. And I think, Cam, it's fair to say that one of the biggest things that pro-lifers disagree on is how we should respond to women who choose to get an abortion after abortion has been banned in a particular jurisdiction. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Obviously, very, very important, uh, very applicable uh, to such a time as this, certainly in the United States. But the conversation has uh, come north of the, the border as well into Canada. And I know other countries around the world have grappled with this as well. Before we get into that, Cam, the necessary introductions. My name is Peter, host of the show, and you are Cam, the wonderful co-host. Good to see you. I am Cam. It is good to be back. Um, this is one of the most wonderful times of year. As we've talked about, we have internships on the go. We are getting all these young folks trained and um, doing activism. They're out door knocking. They're out postcarding. They're out doing choice chain. All of our different projects that you can read about on our kind of master webpage, which is endthekilling.ca, uh, which is the webpage for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, CCBR, the organization, Peter, that you and I work for. Um, this is a really cool time of year for that. Um, it's a cool time of year for others. It is playoff time for hockey. It is baseball season for myself. There's a lot of cool things on the go. Um, I currently have a 2.2 OPS for anyone who is wondering about Cam's career stats <laughs> for baseball, um, which uh, I love baseball with a deep and undying love. And so what, one clarification, Cam, could you I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect many of our listeners would not be into baseball quite like you are, but could you remind us or introduce us to the concept of an OPS? So OPS stands for on base plus slugging. And so your on base percentage is the percent of at bats that you wind up on base, whether through hits, whether through walks, whether hit by pitch, whether some other means that I'm not thinking of right now. How often do you end up on base? Um, and you add that to your slugging percentage and your slugging percentage is the proportion of bases touched per um, at bat. And so if you have one at bat and you hit a single, your slugging percentage is one. If you have one at bat and you hit a double, your slugging percentage is two. Um, or yeah, two. Um, obviously, that's not a percentage, but you have a 2.0 slugging um, number. <laughs> and if you had, if you have two at bats and you hit one single and the other time you go out, you have a 0.5 slugging. And so your on base plus your slugging is generally a, a good metric for how strong of a hitter are you? How often right. are you getting on base and how much power do you bring to the plate? The highest number that you could get for all of you um, fantasy nerds out there would be a 5.0 for your slugging. You would have a 1 for your on-base percentage. You can't get on-base more than 100% of the time. 
and you can't have a slugging higher than four. If you hit home runs every single time that you hit the plate, you get four bases touched per at bat. And so your slugging would be four. Your on-base percentage would be one. The highest possible slugging that you can achieve is five. The, the best players in the MLB, Major League Baseball, have a slugging at the end of the season maybe around 1.2 um, sort of thing. You'll have eight or nine people that have above a one as their, their OBP, OPS, and most other people have it well below one where their, their on-base percentage is like one out of four times to make it on base, and their slugging percentage is 300, and so they have an OPS of... 525 or whatever that's not <laughs> well, why we're here um, though that's no, a baseball thank, stat <laughs> thank you for that i hope i hope you didn't uh confuse more people than before i asked that question now i've heard rumors and rumblings from mutual friends of ours that you are very good at baseball but not only are you good at baseball you're also good at teaching pro-life apologetics and how to be winsome <laughs> in our conversations now that's what a, segue a transition what a transition one. That is that is right. I've been working on my segues. I've been working on those transitions, and I think that's a fantastic one. And um, you do have a course coming up as well. You know, I could have said talking about OPS. You have a course coming up, but I thought this transition was was way superior. Um, tell me about tell me about the course. Tell me about how we can sign up and what we can expect. Bingo! So this is a 200 level course, or what I'm calling a 200 level course. This is not introduction to the pro life movement. Um, while if you've never had many conversations about abortion, you're most welcome to join us. But this is geared specifically towards people who are having conversations about abortion and want to take them to the next level. And so this is a three-week course starting at the beginning of June. You can find it on our website, ProLifeGuys.com. Um, and it's going to focus on how to make better analogies, how to resonate your kind of academic arguments in a more meaningful way. Session two is going to be on engagement for body language and delivery and how to optimize the volume of people that you're engaging in conversation and how to elongate your conversations at times. If you're finding that people are leaving conversation quickly or you're not getting into the meat and potatoes, how do you get into them quicker? How do you make sure that people are sticking around um, for the real substance? And the last one is a little bit on how to manage... Um, high emotion conversations, conflict management, that kind of thing. How do you turn a potential incident into a productive conversation? And so a lot of how do we, how do we really engage on a meaningful level? How do we work um, and have a positive relationship and encounter with people who have experienced abortion, who are strong advocates in favor of abortion? How do we cultivate um, a situation in which we're having good conversations about abortion with not just Joe Blow, who's never thought about the issue before, but also with people who are ardently supportive of abortion, because we can't just be writing them off. I, I talked about that at the March for Life in Edmonton a couple of weeks ago, where the people who are counter protesting us, the people who are coming to censor us, they're not the enemy, but they're also not people who can be forgotten. It's not a matter of, well, they're really hard. Let's just pick the low hanging fruit and that'll be enough. In this mission, because this isn't just about majorities, this is about everyone, we need to be able to reach those people too. And so that's what the course is all about. You can sign up, like I said, on the website, ProLifeGuys.com. You can find it under the resources tab or in the merch shop. Um, sign up there. Um, the first 15 or so people who sign up will um, get a spot in it. And so we've already had a few people check out interest. Hopefully we can get up to that 15 by um, the end of May or so. So if you're interested, sign up. 
Um, the 25 bucks um, for registration costs goes towards helping our interns on street corners and helping get even more interns for next year. Love it. And one more thing uh, that I think is worth mentioning as well before we dive into the key question of the day, and that is that you are starting a new Patreon series. I know a lot of people, uh, our followers certainly on the podcast, are interested in, in what happens on, st on street corners and how we can engage in effective and winsome ways. But I, I know, Cam, from my experience, people have also you know come up to me and be like, so like, what is it like to work for CCBR? What do you do behind the scenes? What are some of your roles look like? What is a day-to-day and so you started a new series, which is Patreon exclusive uh, for our Patreon patrons on Patreon, um, where you sit down with some of our colleagues and, and ask those questions like, Alex, what goes on in a day? And you just talk about um, some of the work that he's been doing and, and what goes on behind the scenes to make things like the internship, things like the crash courses, things like uh, the 101 trainings and the regular activism, you know, to, to, to make those things actually work. So if you want to listen to that series, it's starting very, very soon, uh, exclusive to our patron supporters as a huge thank you for supporting the show. Um, that money uh, doesn't go to our salaries. It goes straight to promoting the show, uh, making it better, ensuring that we can um, pay our producer and get the good content out there. And it goes, uh, any excess money goes right back to the streets, as you talked about, Cam, and to the internships. So if there's anything you want to add to that, um, now's the time. Yeah, um, big fan of this. I know that we've been talking about the Patreon channel for a long, long time. I appreciate so much those that have been faithful supporters of ours. Um, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of content that has gone out there, but finally we're into this series. And the reason why we're making this for our Patreon supporters and not just general public is because we're going to be talking about stuff that we can't necessarily be saying to the general public. And so we're asking that people don't share the content from Patreon, not because we want to rack up money, but because we want to give valuable content that isn't necessarily publishable. What projects we're working on, the projects that we're developing, where we're going to be, things like that, that we don't necessarily want to be stirring up a big... Um, Hubaloo before we even arrive in a, a community or something like that. So this can be behind the scenes stuff that is really interesting, I think, and really helpful and really insightful as to what the 20 people working on staff do for a pro-life organization. Like, what are you guys even doing? This used to be a volunteer-led movement. Like, why are you getting paid to do what people used to do in a volunteer capacity? We're going to talk about how the movement has changed and why we need people in full-time capacities, things like that. So Really excited about this episode, uh, this series. Perfect. With that, we get into our question. Cam, should moms, uh, mothers who choose to abort their child or anyone else, uh, a father or a boyfriend who coerces uh, said mother, should they go to prison after receiving an abortion? Now, let's start with uh, understanding the current cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Then we'll talk about the importance of, of conversations and some of the principles that guide us in our thinking when we think about this, obviously Roe versus Wade is a massive one. Um, with the, the court case before the Supreme Court, uh, uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Whole Health, um, we have a, an understanding now. It, it's been leaked, and it's likely going to happen that Roe versus Wade is going is going to fall. And there have been a lot of responses. Obviously, there's been responses from abortion supporters like uh, the NDP, uh, the New Democrat Party leader Jagmeet Singh the other day. Um, who had this thing that said, if anything equivalent to the fall of Roe versus Wade comes to Canada, women will die. And so we're getting this sort of end of uh, end of times, end of the world uh, analysis from the abortion supporters because of the fall of Roe versus Wade. 
Um, and, and along the same lines, they're talking about all the women are going to go in prison. Everyone who's had an abortion in the past is going to have to go into prison in red states like, uh, let's say, uh, Louisiana or Texas or uh, some of these other ones that are going to implement abortion bans uh, as soon as Roe versus Wade does fall. Um, but then there's an honest conversation happening within the pro-life movement as well uh, in, in terms of where do we go from here? What does a, a, a consistent law look like? What does a good pro-life law look like? Cam, I wish we could see something like this in Canada, uh, but it certainly is an ongoing conversation here, but something that is is real and has practical application in the United States right now. So I don't know if there's anything else that you think would be important for understanding our current moment as we think about this question. So the the only thing that I'll say, and, and this is going to be something of a two-part episode, because I am generally a big fan of trying to stay in my lane. Um, we're, we're Peter, you and I are going to veer out of our lanes a little bit today in that we're not lawyers, we're not judges, we're not legislators. I don't have the clearest of understanding into how courtrooms function and how justice is doled out in courtrooms. And so right. we're going to be getting some um, lawmakers and um, hopefully uh, a I don't know if we can get a judge onto the program, but but somebody who's a little bit more familiar with the exact ins and outs of what goes on. But I think that it is relevant to know that we may not know everything that goes into a particular law, right? That, that just like medicine, right? Like when it, it would be a little bit of a stretch, Peter, for you and I to talk about all of the medical ins and outs for whether or not abortion is ever medically necessary. We have a pretty good understanding, and we can definitely smell foul when it's real bad. But that's why we had Dr. Ryan Wilson from the Canadian Physicians for Life come on. He's a professional doctor. This is literally his vocation. And he was able to speak much more wisdom, much more knowledge into the conversation. And so that is one thing that I would caution pro-lifers on, that I'm not saying that lawmakers always have good reasons. I'm not saying that every law that gets passed is a good law, even. All I'm saying is that they generally have reasons for what they do. They generally have, just like you in whatever profession you work in, if you're a carpenter, if you're an accountant, if you're something else and you do something in a particular way and somebody peers over your shoulder and says something, that's all I would say. But we are going to break down a little bit of the principle behind this question because it is it is important for us to all evaluate and not just sell out entirely of like, oh, we're leaving that up to the lawmakers. We do need to have some thoughts on it. Um, that's all I would say, though. Yeah. So like you say, um, and like the one part of what's in our lane is the education aspect. And mm -hmm. uh, in an age, and I've talked about this before, where a lot of us seek to find a silver bullet solution, generally on the political level. I wonder, Kim, what you could speak to uh, in terms of the importance of education, the role of education in building cultural change. Obviously, it's not a silver bullet because we've done education um, you know, for, for quite a few years now, and it's the conversation after conversation, it's, it's, you know, there's no silver bullet, but, um, it's a little, it's slower than what we would prefer perhaps, but maybe talk about the role of education in creating cultural change. Exactly. Ed education, I think in many ways is upstream of politics in that I, I think that most people could agree that if, if the general populace and the people seeking out and performing abortions don't think that abortion kills a human being then obviously they're going to disagree with legislation that punishes you for killing a human being. If, if it is legislated similarly 
to legislation that kills born human beings, and yet the perception is radically different, there's going to be crazy public outcry, obviously. And that's where the education comes in, that first of all, we need to cut the demand for abortion in general. Regardless of whether it's legal or not, the education is going to cut the demand dramatically, but it's also going to flow towards that legislation as we bring about that cultural transformation, that widespread discomfort and categorical shift when it comes to how people identify on the pro-life worldview, as more people realize that these are tiny human beings that deserve the same rights and protection and dignity that you and I do, Peter, then the legislation will make far more sense and it will gain much more support. People in Texas are not fundamentally different, I would argue, than people in Canada. The education in Texas around abortion has been significantly different, though. It's been significantly longer lasting. It's been significantly more ubiquitous throughout society. People have a much better, I would argue, general understanding regarding when human life begins and whether or not all humans should get human rights um, than they do in Canada. That's where um, we, where we're different. So education is going to flow into the politics and that's why we need people thinking about the facts of the case before we make a, a ruling, right? Just like in any court case, you, you present all of the evidence so that none of the rulings should surprise anybody. Um, we need to present all of the evidence in the court of public opinion to build into the court of public law, I suppose. All right. Um, and in terms of education as well, Cam, I think it's important to note that just because we communicate a principle doesn't mean we communicate that principle correctly, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I think about one of your first conversations, and I, I, I feel at liberty to say this because you've mentioned it many times in the podcast, as well as a, a point of learning for you, but also as an example for our listeners as well. Um, your first conversation when you're... I think it was a math teacher was justifying abortion and you raised your hand and said, but, but it's a baby, but it's a baby. And I think a lot of the conversations that we hear on this point as well are kind of similar. It's like, but it's a baby equal justice, but it's a baby. Everything has to be the same, but it's a baby. And, um, we often are talking to people with completely different worldviews. I mean, in terms of, of categories, we're like, we're not even understanding each other. Um, and so that gets to the important of having those effective conversations. Cam, I'm going to ask you um, in a moment how you would um, respond when something like this comes up, um, because I know you've had it many times and I know your insights are far superior than mine. Um, but let's talk about a principle first, uh, the principle that we go by. I, maybe you want to start this off. I have some thoughts as well. But how can we think through should a woman go to go to jail or face uh, you know, justice or, or go to court and, and have a trial if she chooses to get an abortion. Yeah. And, and I hope I'm not stealing words out of your mouth, but there was a really interesting interview or recording done by U.S. Congressman Mike Johnson, who had this kind of back and forth with somebody um, in, in the Congress house, um, wherever he is at. And he basically made the exact principle that I would convey. He asked the question, what is the principal distinction between a human being that is two year old, two years old, or nine months old, or one week old, or an hour old, than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the uterus. What is the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case, but not in the former case? And that's the, the analogy. That's trotting out the toddler. That's demonstrating the principle that it's never appropriate to directly and intentionally kill born children. So why is it okay to directly and intentionally kill preborn children? And so should those be understood? 
I think that it would absolutely make sense in in a lot of ways if there was similar repercussions, right? That that um, just like there are similar repercussions between killing an 80-year-old person and an eight-day-old person um, after birth, then we recognize that there's equal value, there's equal injustice. If that um, atrocity is perpetrated, why not similar response before birth? And, and so that's a principle that we can work with. And yet another principle that we have to understand is that there's often either mitigating or exacerbating circumstances around it, right? That not every... 25-year-old who was killed, the person who brought about their death is not punished identically every time, right? The, not only do we have differences between murder and manslaughter and first-degree murder and second-degree murder and third-degree murder, but we also have accidental death. We also have coercion. We also have varying degrees of culpability that may mitigate the punishment that's doled out. And I think that most people would agree that the punishments may deserve differences depending on the mental state, the mental faculties of the perpetrator. If this was somebody who's acting under duress or coercion or lack of foreknowledge or any anything like that, you're going to have different outcomes of justice. They're not always going to be great justice. Again, there are people who get off far too easy, far too frequently in our justice system. However, there are relevant factors that are um, incorporated in. And so those are two principles that I think are relevant, that we need in the educational arm to cultivate an equality in the perception of everybody's mind, that a preborn child should be considered equally to a born child. And once that is cultivated, the second principle, that justice should respond to that principle together, understandably, with the surrounding factors that may either exacerbate the, the judgment, punishment, or mitigate the judgment and punishment based on the culpability and decision of the perpetrator, if that makes sense. I love it. And to answer your question, you most certainly did take the words right out of my mouth. But just to, <laughs> to summarize, I know you summarized it as well, but just to, I think it's this, this point, this principle is particularly uh, important for us to know and remember is that because we say, because we argue, because we believe that the preborn are equal in their humanity to those who are born, they ought to be equal in the eyes of the law as well. And so the way we would respond to the killing of a 10-year-old child, a two-year-old child, or a newborn would be the same way that we would respond to the killing of a preborn child, regardless of that preborn child's age. Now, Cam, um, there is one thing that people often bring up. I'm sure there are many frequently asked questions, but one of the most, uh, one of the ones you hear the most um, is the question of, does that mean that everyone who's had an abortion in the past, it, you know, you think that they should all be thrown into prison? Wouldn't that mean that there would be basically no women left? Um, is is how I've heard it on the streets. How would you respond to something like that? And and, and I, I mean, for our listeners, um, you're not a lawyer, you're not a politician, you're not, a, <laughs> <laughs> neither am I. But um, what is a, a way that you would respond to that? I, I would say something to the effect of, you know, you and I agree, or or I would certainly say that a, a grievous injustice has been perpetrated, but we can't have retroactive justice for something that was morally or legally acceptable. It certainly wasn't morally acceptable, but legally acceptable at a particular time, right? And that's never been the case. Um, when When slavery was outlawed, 
when other forms of discrimination were outlawed, they didn't go and attack people who had previous um, to that change in legislation been slave owners or other perpetrators and punish them with prison. Um, anyone after that who was perpetrating that action would be punished. Right? I'm, I'm sure there were repercussions in some capacity for those people, especially if they, quote unquote, should have known better. But I would say very simply, they were not pursuing retroactive justice. First and foremost, particularly within the educational arm, we are trying to link here, not to the political legislative arm, but rather to the pastoral arm. When we meet people who have had abortions, the thought that goes through our mind is not, I wish that person was in prison. Our thought that goes through our minds should be, I wish that had never happened, and I hope that through hope and healing, healing in the arms of Christ, the, the only um, both just judge and merciful Savior, um, our, our salvation, if, if we can bring about that healing, then not only are they not going to perform that in the future, but also they will receive healing from the past. And so we think towards the pastoral end, not towards the legislative end for those who have already had abortions. That, that's where I would generally go. I love it. So let's take this to the streets, um, unless you have anything else you'd like to add before that. Someone comes up to you, you're in a conversation, um, and let's let's say this is um, an honest conversation. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is sometimes you have people who try to trap you in various positions and say, hi, I found this small point of inconsistency within you, therefore the pro-life worldview as a whole is the most terrible thing that's ever uh, you know, existed in this world. Let's say this is an on honest conversation where you're you're working uh, through the the pro-life position with someone. You're asking those questions. You're using the analogies and and you're finding common ground in the places that you can. The conversational tactics that we talk to uh, talk about regularly, and they respond to you by saying, um, "So to be consistent, does this mean that women should be put into prison?" What is the first thing that you say? What is the first thing that you respond to? Um, I imagine it's some some sort of finding common ground. What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when someone brings something like this up? Absolutely. So the first thing actually that comes out of my mouth is simply, you and I can agree that we're not trying to find more people to put in prison, right? Like the the reason we have prisons is not because we want some like terrible dark desire to throw people in prison and then maltreat them. Prison is a necessary, natural evil, I would argue, that, that in an unfallen world, there's no such thing as prison. We don't want people in prison. Um, however, and, and so that, that's what I find initially. Common ground, you and I agree that we're not looking for more people to put in prison. And yet, could we agree that if killing a preborn child was known to be morally equivalent to killing a born child, that the repercussions of those actions should be somewhat similar? Yeah, in theory. We could also agree, though, that we're not at that point yet in society, which is the compulsion on the educational arm to proactively cultivate. I know I used the word cultivate a few times in this conversation. It's a great word. Um, cultivate an attitude towards these preborn children, not so that we can throw more people in prison, but so fewer people are having abortions. We are confident that through education connected to pastoral support, legislation will almost be redundant, almost be a moot point. I know that it won't be tragically. However, that's what I want to convey. 
I agree with you that we don't want more people in prison. And I agree with, and yet we would also agree that if it were viewed to be the same, then repercussions should be similar because they're not viewed the same because we don't have the education or arguably the pastoral support. We need to change those, I would argue, before it made sense to change the legislative response to abortion. We need a change to the educational and pastoral response to abortion upstream of the political legislative response to abortion. That's where I would go. Yeah, I think that's great. Do you have an example like of uh, a conversation you've had where someone had a particular response to that? Or is, I know I know I'm throwing this at you because we didn't chat about yeah. this beforehand, but it did just come up in my mind. How did someone take that? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. Concrete example. I was talking to somebody at Mount Royal University, and they were looking at what's happening in the States. And they said, you know what, if we're doing that in Canada, we're just throwing mothers in prison for having abortions. And I actually started that conversation, I should be fair, in a different direction. I, I actually pointed towards the Texas law that was recently passed. We've covered that, Peter, a few times on the on the show, that literally had spelt into law that mothers would never be perpetrated under the purview of that legislation, would never be prosecuted and sent to prison. Abortion providers, people coercing them or aiding and abetting them in obtaining the abortion could be prosecuted, but the mother herself would never be prosecuted. And so I clarified that, that even in America, we're not sending mothers to prison for having a, abortions. And I don't say that um, negatively towards our American friends, but just a, even in the person's mind, this perce perceived like very harsh justice system in Texas. People think of Texas as being um, so brutal on abortion legislation. They literally spelt into law very, very proactively that they weren't targeting the mothers. And so I started with that. And then their response, when I walked through that we're not trying to throw more women in prison, that educational efforts, they said, you know, that's actually really relieving. And I guess if we could get to a culture where most people thought that was wrong, it would make sense, to which I followed up with, and I certainly think that the abortion providers should be penalized the most severely. Anyone who has found out they were pregnant, even in the best of situations, can definitely attest to the overwhelming emotional landslide, uh, roller coaster ride that pregnancy can be. Moms and dads and everyone else involved, there's an awful lot going on when you find out you're pregnant, regardless of whether you're in a fantastic, stable relationship and, and excited and, and longing for children or not. However, I think that we could all agree as well that there's much less culpability for abortion providers, somebody whose profession, this um, kind of stoic, caustic profession, there's no emotional engagement or certainly not the same as the mother. We went there and it was amazing how quick I got buy-in on that. We also went in the direction of if that's going to happen, then we're going to have to um, compel men to be more involved with pregnancy. Like we're never going to change the demand on abortion unless fathers are more involved, to which I also wholeheartedly agree. I, I am a huge proponent of making the fathers, biological fathers of these children incredibly involved in their child's life. I don't like the idea of making them responsible or the consequences of their action, making them involved in their kid's life, not only financially, but in a, a human personal level as well. So that, that's where the conversation went. Again, I know that I'm a little bit rambly, um, extra rambly today, I feel like, but that's where that conversation went. And I was really impressed with how well this young woman um, accepted all of that. And she said, yeah, I agree with you that we need to change culture. 
I agree with you that if we do change culture, legislation might make sense. And I agree with you that certainly legislation pertaining to abortion providers absolutely makes sense. Yeah, that's great. I love that you brought in that Texas law. There was one in Louisiana, I believe, as well. Our listeners will have to fact check this if I'm wrong, because I don't have all the facts straight in front of me. I'm, I'm, I'm recalling this from memory. It was the Abolition of Abortion Act. It just uh, failed in Louisiana several days ago from time of recording. So several weeks ago at time of posting. And one of the reasons it did is not because Louisiana doesn't want to ban abortion. They do. But it also had the stipulation about um, prosecuting women. Uh, and mothers who uh, decide to get an abortion, and so, um, so yeah, there's there's that in the states as well. I, I think I think it's particularly difficult to get a law like that with the the current uh, place where many pro-lifers are um, in their understanding of what should happen and what the response should be. Now, I think it's important to note, Cam, in terms of our educational efforts, that even if that comes up and someone someone pinpoints that that is particularly inconsistent of the pro-life position. Um, I've been willing to accept that there there might be inconsistencies, but the key point is what is not consistent is that abortion does in fact end the life of a preborn child. And so if you find someone in a conversation who's trying to use this particular point to to get the conversation off the rails, to talk about your inconsistencies rather than who the preborn are, then I think it's important to note, Cam, one of the things I do is dive straight back into the human rights argument, which is the key, you know, that first and initial question, you know, um, do you believe all humans should get human rights? Um, and, and, you know, you dive into that to focus on the humanity of preborn children so that regardless of their political theory at the end of the conversation, their understanding of what abortion is, is correct. Uh, their political theory can be this, that, the other thing, that's a hard one, uh, to, to tackle. And I know there are many differences, uh, within the pro-life movement within, uh, our friends came at the Canadian center for bioethical reform, and perhaps even amongst, uh, the two of us on, uh, what, is the best way to do politics. Um, but the thing that we can agree on and that biologists agree on and that is consistent with uh, ethics, uh, solid ethics and uh, and morals is that abortion is a human rights violation. Any final thoughts from you, sir, before we wrap this up? Yeah, I, I would just say that, that that clarity can be really, really helpful and letting them know that 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 we genuinely care. And and also I I guess the one other route that I would talk about is the productive, right, kind of the positive legislation that needs to accompany, if not lead, the quote unquote negative legislation. We we look at what happened right before that legislation got passed in Texas and they committed a hundred million dollars annually towards the support of pregnant um, and young moms. We look at what's happening in Hungary and Poland and Malta and so many of these other growing pro-life areas, even Israel, right? Uh, we've talked about Israel as well and and how much legislation has gone into better support for pregnant and young moms. Um, I think that that's a component of legislation that is absolutely worth being brought up in conversation too, that legislation should not simply be a blunt axe that we bludgeon people with, but rather at times, if we're going to use it in that way, that there should also be either private or public directives towards better support for moms as well. So I would just weave that into your conversation too. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Um, we recognize here at the Pro-Life Guys podcast, we're not like a big thing. Cam and I recognize 
that uh, this is, as I mentioned off the top, a contentious issue. And I know there are disagreements. And so if you have disagreements with some of the things that we said, we would love to hear from you. I mean, we've thought about this. Uh, we've chatted about this uh, with each other and with some of the others uh, in the movement, in our organization and in others. And this is the position that we fall on is that uh, equal justice uh, in terms of uh, the way we, we would respond to the killing of a pre of a born child would be the same way we should respond to the killing of a preborn child. We think that that should be applied in the law as well, should a law, um, a, a most consistent law come. But if you have any, any, any challenges, any thoughts, any questions that you might have, perhaps another frequently asked question that we didn't touch on because we didn't touch on many of those, do reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can reach out to us on our website, prolifeguys.com. Uh, one thing as well, before we wrap this up, Cam, your, uh, I've learned a lot from you uh, during this time with the podcast. I mean, I, I'm the host of this podcast, but I, I, I do appreciate wholeheartedly the insights that Cam gives because um, I do learn a lot from the things that he says. And I know there are a lot of people who do as well. And so I want to recommend the course that Cam is putting on. Um, I don't remember the date, Cam, because you mentioned it and I wasn't paying attention when you mentioned it. So maybe maybe tell us the date one more time. Um, the date is, so it's early uh, June. Sorry, the first three weeks, <laughs> first three Saturdays of June, the 4th, 11th, and 18th, I believe, is what we're aiming for. All right, perfect. And so I want to recommend that to you, Cam. I'll mention this if you're a regular listener to the podcast. You know that he's had more than 10,000 conversations on the topic of abortion. You know that he's been in the movement for 10, 11 years at this point. He has trained many, many people. One of his key jobs is actually speaking tours and training uh, people in Western Canada, which is basically Manitoba all the way to BC. And then he he does uh, trainings for other, other groups as well, uh, some in the States, some uh, even further east, I believe. And so... If you want to learn from Cam as well, do go to the website, prolifeguys.com. You can find uh, more information in the merch shop. You can also find more information, Cam. I think you said under the resources tab. Is, am I right there? Yep. Yeah. Um, so do reach out. It's $25. It's $25. Uh, $25 isn't that much. And uh, you get to sit down with one of Canada's top pro-life apologists. Cam, did you have your hand up because you wanted to say something? Uh, you are far too kind in, in the apologetic stuff. No, I was just going to say, and if that doesn't work for you, I would love now that um, traveling is starting to become a little bit easier. I would love to come and visit your place as well. I'm happy to tailor a, a training to you. I think I've got four or five talks lined up through June. I'm in the Edmonton area um, and the Regina area as well. And so I'd love to come in and meet up with your youth group, your your church, your Bible study, your community group, your pro-life group, whatever. Um if you're looking for somebody who can tailor a particular talk towards your audience, please hit me up as well. I'd love to, to work together with you on whatever it is that your group needs. Perfect. Folks, Cam and I often make a commitment at the beginning of every episode that this is going to be a short one. And unfortunately, <laughs> we're at 40 minutes. <laughs> Once again, uh, we are so grateful that you continue to tune in. We're grateful that you listen through and we hope you tune in again next time. God bless you all. Take care.